Well, good morning. Pastor Alex is preaching up in uh, St. Andrew's Fergus this morning, so he sends his uh, regrets before he heads off on some vacation. Um, but uh, you're stuck with me now. So... <laughs> um, it won't be so bad, I promise. It won't be so bad. <laughs> Chloe's giving it away. They are going to England. <laughs> yeah. She's saying, peace out, Canada. <laughs> well, by now, most of you will have met uh, my family, uh, my wife, Lindsay, my, my daughter, Iris. Um, but most of you, there's a few of you, but most of you haven't met my dog, my dog Harvey. Um, he is a boisterous, 100-pound uh, chocolate lab. Um, he has more energy than I know what to do with, um, but he also has an injured leg, so it's this constant tension between needing to get him exercise and not injuring him permanently. It is a real challenge. Um, he's also a very spiritual dog. He enjoys taking in Bible commentaries. <laughs> and last fall, he took a big step in his faith journey, in his spiritual journey. And he um, took the advice of Ezekiel the prophet and, and John in Revelation. And he ate the scrolls. He ate the scriptures. <laughs> and well, this morning, I, can, I condemn Harvey's practice here. I don't think that was a, a, a prudent choice. Um, I do believe, I want, I want us to glean something of what my dog did here. I want us to put into practice a similar methodology this morning. And so this morning we're going to be hanging out in and, and kind of lingering on one particular psalm. It's only three verses long, so it's very simple. It's very reflective. It's very contemplative. So this is an opportunity um, to do what my dog was aiming to do in some capacity, which is to, to just truly eat the words of Scripture. Like my dog, I want us to learn this morning what it is to meditate through and pray over and savor and enjoy. Now, I'm sure he actually just devoured it, but um, we're going we're gonna to work on that. We're going to slow it down a little bit. So, but as we get going, I want to field us for a, a, a question this morning. And the question is, can you recall the most decadent, memorable meal you've ever had? Maybe there's something that already comes to your mind. Is there anyone that like, immediately you're like, I know what it was? Can anyone share out loud? Chocolate stew? Chocolate beef stew. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Here, what else? A roast beef dinner on the Bay of Chaleur in Quebec. Fish calzone. That is very interesting. <laughs> I'm getting some very beautiful and varied responses here. This is wonderful. For me, 
Um, maybe about, is that about a year and a half ago, I think, uh, so my wife and I, our birthdays and our anniversaries all in the month of May. And so some, sometimes we like to combine all the celebrations into one kind of expensive meal or something like that. So um, we went downtown Guelph to this Italian restaurant, La Cucina. Anyone ever been? Um, you got to kind of save your pennies. It's not, it's not just like going to Domino's or something. If you want the full experience and take it all in, it, it's, it's a wonderful, wonderful time. Um, I had this fantastic seafood pasta that I kind of just drool over to this day. And um, my wife does not enjoy seafood at all, so I didn't have to share with her. It was uh, I didn't intentionally choose that because of that. I, <laughs> but anyway... I just had to savor every last bit of it. In fact, um, to, to kind of recall what that experience was like, I, I went on the menu the online this week, and, and I'm going to read it to you, okay? Just, just, just take this in with me for a moment, okay? Just breathe it in, okay? So, classic homemade fettuccine pasta. So we're already off to a good start, right? Classic homemade fettuccine pasta made with Caribbean lobster and tiger shrimp. And wait for it, wait for it, in a whiskey rosé creme sauce. (sighs) Is anyone hungry? (laughs) Oh my goodness. Here's a question though. What if the way I read that description of my dinner is the way that we read the scriptures? What if the same way that we savor these decadent, rich meals, we savored the rich promises of God? Now, I recognize that this is easier said than done. This week in my own personal uh, quiet time and my Bible reading, I've been working through Exodus. And Exodus is a wonderful book of the Bible. Um, but there's a whole section, um, kind of around chapter like 25, where they spend about like six, seven, eight chapters basically going through like every little minute detail of the tabernacle and the vestments that the priests had to wear. And it's like, it's kind of hard to savor that. And it's it's really easy to kind of just glaze over it and, you know, skip overhead to the good stuff. But what I hope we can accomplish today is a move toward a more thoughtful, meaningful reading of Scripture so that we can allow it to seep deeply into our souls and transform our our hearts. So often our world goes at such a hurried pace that we don't take time to just sit and listen and absorb what God is saying to us. And a part of that reflecting on the meaning is, is the meaning and application of Scripture. And that's what I, what I believe Courtright does really well each and every week. That we take the time and, and go through each of the verses, we explain what it means, how it's applicable for our lives in 2019. But one of the things that maybe we lack, and I think this is true for all churches, is that we don't frequently just take time to just sit and listen and take it in and hear God's voice. So that's what I want to do this morning. It's a unique, unique opportunity where we're going through the Psalms and, you know, kind of just kind of randomly picking and choosing them. And I chose this one intentionally because I think it's an exercise in slowing down. It's only three verses. So we're not going to devour it like a Domino's pizza. We're going to treat this like it's fine dining, okay? So if you would, close your eyes. I'm going to read this slowly. 
Psalm 131. My heart is not proud, Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. But I have calmed and quieted myself. I am like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child, I am content. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, both now and forevermore. This is the word of the Lord. God, I pray that in these few moments that we have together, the the small portion of our week, which we intentionally gather as the bodied church, as the the gathered church of Christ, God, I I pray that we would just take uh, note of what you are saying to us in this moment. That we would still our hearts. That we would listen to what you are saying and doing through this passage. In your name we pray. Amen. So Eugene Peterson, he uh, wrote a book called uh, Eat This Book. And it's a book um, that kind of describes the art of spiritual reading. And this is what he says. He says, reading is an immense gift, but only if the words are assimilated taken into the soul, eaten, chewed, gnawed, received in unhurried delight. I learned some bad habits. I actually read that book in seminary, um, and that was one of the few books that I actually tried to practice what he was talking about there. Um, But in seminary, um, in my very first professor, she sat us down and she was like, okay, this is master's level reading, so you need to be aware that you cannot read everything. You cannot savor. You cannot, you have to like read the beginning paragraph of a chapter, then the last paragraph of a chapter, and then skim everything in the middle to make sure you absorb as much as you can in as little time as possible. That was kind of the attitude. Um, and and in, way, in some ways that was beneficial because I don't think I would have got through it all had I had to read every single paragraph without skimming. But it probably developed some bad habits in me where now when I'm reading a book, I'm like reading it more for information rather than transformation. And that's something that I'm trying to correct, is that it's one thing to just skim over something and, and, and just try to absorb as much in your, in your brain as you can. But especially when it comes to the Bible, it is so much more than information. It is about God doing a work in and through the words and then in and through us. So maybe as we read that passage with your eyes closed, maybe you were still a little distracted. Maybe you were thinking about what you're doing this afternoon or maybe thinking about a conflict that you're in with your friend or your spouse and so what I, what I want to do is I'm going to read it again. It's only three verses, so it's very short, very simple. And I want us to have this image or this picture in our mind of that idea of um, this, is, this is fine dining. The table has been set. 
The wine has been poured, the food is in front of you, and before you pick up your fork and your knife, you inhale it deeply. You kind of take it all in. You take in the decor and the candles and the beautiful company in front of you, whether that's friends or family, whatever that looks like for you. And then you dig in. So again, do whatever you need to do to focus and take in, take this in and listen to it. Let's hear what God is saying. Psalm 131. My heart is not proud, Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. But I have calmed and quieted myself. I'm like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child, I am content. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, both now and forevermore. Hmm. I don't know about you, but... If you, I don't know if you've read that psalm before, but every time I do, it just kind of washes over me. It just calms my soul. There's something just so beautiful about it. So let's break this down and just savor the little bits of it. There's all these wonderful different elements going on here, and I want us to, to hear what God is saying to us. So David is our psalmist here. He's our writer. And he begins by placing himself before God with a spirit of submission. He says, my heart is not proud. His heart comes from a place not of pride, but of humility. He recognizes his place before the God of the universe. He knows that he is small in the grand scheme of the cosmos. And what's kind of funny is when you think about this, this is a king writing this. A king that we are reading from 3,000 years after his reign. In the Judeo-Christian tradition, King David is one of the most significant figures. And yet, even he is held to this posture of humility and submission before God. My eyes are not haughty. He says, and that's a really interesting, maybe even a little bit of an odd word choice for the NIV, which tends to be a little bit more modern. That's that's not a word that most of us use in our everyday vernacular. And it's one of those times where actually the literal reading of the Hebrew actually makes a little bit more sense. Because on the surface here, it kind of seems like he's saying the same thing twice, but he's actually saying something different. So he's not saying he's not saying my heart is not proud. My eyes are not proud. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is that his eyes are not being lifted up, exalted, raised up. It's, it's this idea, it's this idea of not being preoccupied with presuming upon greatness. David did not presume or overestimate his importance. He would not allow his gaze to fixate on things too wonderful or too marvelous for him to understand. And that's what he says next. He says, I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. And to be clear, that part is not, is not talking about intellectual ignorance. It's not talking about um, just ignoring facts. It's not any of that. 
It's not about refusing to not, you know, refusing to reflect deeply on the world around you. In one sense, what he's doing here is he's declaring his trust and his contentment in God. There are a billion things in this universe that we will never understand. And while we might want to think on our existence, the grandeur of the world, the depths of the sea, the heights of the mountains, the expanse of the stars and the universe, nothing will beat the simple act of solitude, of being with the one who created all of that. There's a trust that though we may not understand how the universe was set in motion, we are sons and daughters of the one who set it in motion. We are children content to simply sit with God, which flows right into verse 2. But I have calmed and quieted myself. I am like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child, I am content. In my, in my humble opinion, this is one of the most beautiful images we see in the scriptures. David compares himself to a child that is content before the Lord. But he specifically uses the image of a child that is no longer fretting over being fed. Now there's two ways that we could see this image. Both, they have essentially the same implication, the same effect. Um, the Hebrew word for weaned here is the word gamal, which means to bring to an end, to bring to an end. And the, so the first and simplest reading is that of a child who uh, has been freshly nursed. If you could imagine um, a child that uh, some of you, uh, this is a very recent memory, some of you it's maybe more of a distant memory, of seeing a baby that is um, writhing and crying and all of a sudden you stick uh, something in their mouth, <laughs> a bottle or otherwise, and... Uh, and all of a sudden, it's like, and then they finish, they finish, and they just sit there, and they're just, like, their belly's full, they're milk drunk, they're, like, it's just this beautiful image of a child fed and happy and content. There's this quietness and contentedness to that child, at least, at least just for that moment. <laughs> And there are shades of that image here, but I think as we dig a little deeper, um, the more likely image that is at play here is a little bit more nuanced. And it's actually, if you dig in, it's a little richer and a little deeper. The image is ultimately that of a child who is no longer breastfed, a child who is, you know, two, three, maybe years old, a child who has learned to self-soothe, a child who has begun the maturation process of not living out of a place of immediate need and immediate gratification. Where at one point this child would cry and writhe its little body until it got what it needed, they now simply and calmly ask for their nourishment. Being the father of a three-year-old, I, 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 this is pretty fresh in my mind. I remember clearly the days where my new, this newborn baby would scream and flail her limbs until she got what her body needed. That's the, their way of communicating to us. But now, each morning... I get up and I'm reading my, my Bible or something like that and, and my, my daughter will come out 
And she'll say to me, she'll kind of stand next to me or sit next to me, and she'll go, Daddy, I'm very hungry. <laughs> up until a couple of weeks ago, she was saying, she would go up and say, Daddy, I'm too hungry. And I'm like, I'm like, honey, that doesn't really make sense. So how about you say, I'm very hungry instead. And so now, every single morning, she comes out, and she's very intentional in the way she says it. She says, Daddy, I'm very hungry. <laughs> It's very, very sweet. No more writhing and flailing limbs most of the time. It's beautiful. A child that is content. A child that is, that is no longer living out of a place of pure instinct. She knows and trusts that all she needs to do is ask her mom or her dad and they will supply her needs. But there's more than that, I think, here. Because often, my daughter, she will ask for a piece of toast, and I'll put the toast, I'll put the bread in the toaster, and I'll spread some peanut butter on it, and we'll sit at our table, and I'm like about to go back, and like, okay, I'm, see you later, have your toast, I'm going to go read my Bible, because that's the more spiritual thing to do, and then, and then she's like, Daddy, will you sit with me? You can see the parallel that I'm, that I'm after here. David wants us to be like that child. I was going through this sermon on my drive back from Tobermory this morning, and I was like weeping in my car as I'm going through this. <laughs> David wants us to be like this child, this child that knows that their mother and their father will supply their every need, and that all they need to do is sit and be present. We no longer fret and go into a frenzy over every little thing. I was in Tobermory this weekend. I did, I did a wedding for a dear friend of mine. And uh, so I drove back at 6 a.m. this morning because um, I, I figured I, I'm more of a morning person and, and I was going to be better equipped to drive in the morning than late at night. I just wasn't a fan of that. So um, maybe some of you in your kind of history with weddings have some bridezilla stories. Um, this was the exact opposite. It was beautiful, so I don't have any juicy tales for you. Um, it was an outdoor wedding, right on the water, right on the Georgian Bay. It was only about 25 people, and by the time Friday night rolled around, everyone who was going to be there was already present. And so it was this beautiful opportunity where they kind of looked at the forecast for the day, and they said, okay, if the weather looks better in the morning, we'll do the wedding ceremony in the morning. If it looks better in the afternoon, we'll do it. It was, it was the most chill day ever. So we did the ceremony at 2 p.m., uh, and then we hung out for a little while, had some snacks, and then I went back to my hotel room and had a nap. It was beautiful. Um, and then we had like a, just a very casual dinner reception at a restaurant um, and uh, chatted and hung out until about 9.30 or 10 o'clock, went to my bed, fell asleep, got up and drove here. Everyone at some point in the day was like, this is the most relaxed wedding I've ever been to. <laughs> and they just commented on how enjoyable it was to not have to go at this hurried pace. What I want us to do is savor and contemplate here what it would look like for our lives to just look a little bit more like this image that David is showing us here. This image of a calm, contented, not hurried life. A life with a deep trust for God. A life not led by a need for bigger, better, faster. And I am so guilty of that. 
but a life that can rest in the Lord with a humble and content heart. There's also a little picture of Sabbath here. Lately, our family, we've been trying, maybe not perfectly, but we've been trying to do a little bit more of an intentional intentional 24-hour period from Friday evening to Saturday evening where we take a break from from working, from uh, whatever it is we have on the go. Lindsay's working on a, a master's degree right now, and so she tries to, as much as she can, to take a little break from that um, so that we can just have time as a family. And even though this is a, a newer practice to us, it's been a really beautiful thing where I'm, I'm just noticing that there's this greater intentionality and and it's just wonderful and so i just feel this greater feeling of delight in my family when we spend time together in that way that we get to delight in one another and we get to delight in god that we get to delight in the promises of god and the promise that when we rest that god meets us in that rest The child in Psalm 131 that David is describing is a child who is no longer simply driven by need, but is a child that can now take delight in the world around him or her. This particular uh, psalm for me, it was actually um, brought to my mind in in a season of my own struggle with anxiety about six years ago where it was my first encounter where I, I started, you know, I woke up one morning and I had a drink of coffee and I was like, this is making me really sick. What is happening here? And it was like this, it was the weirdest thing. And, and, and my wife looks at me, she's like, Justin, you're, you're having an anxiety attack that I've been there, done that. It's, it's pretty normal. You know, I'm like, okay, but this is not normal to me, you know? And, and so it was, uh, it was a very unique experience, and I, and I remember going through just a few weeks where, where it was just quite intense. And um, and I was driving in a car with a, a former colleague of mine and also Diane Boyd, who was a part of our community here. And, and Diane Boyd was actually the one that brought this psalm to my heart. She read it, and we kind of savored on it. And now, whenever I read particularly verse 2, this image of this calm child, I just have this sense of, of just calm washing over me. This sense that all will be well. This sense of God's intimate, abiding presence. This sense that God is delighting over me. This sense that not only does God love me, that he actually likes me too. This sort of contemplation can only happen when we take time to sit and slow down and listen to God. Brother Lawrence, who worked in a monastery in 17th century Paris, he was a master at delighting in God's voice and God's presence, no matter what he was doing while he was washing and scrubbing dishes or whatever he, whatever he was filling his day with. And this is something that he said that I, I found quite profound. It was beautiful. He says, The king, full of mercy and goodness, very far from chastising me, he embraces me with love, makes me eat at his table, serves me with his own hands, gives me the key of his treasures. He converses and delights himself with me incessantly in a thousand and a thousand ways and treats me in all respects as his favorites. It is thus I consider myself from time to time in his holy presence. When we spend time listening to God and savoring his words, his presence, this is what we begin to internalize. So David finishes the psalm 
by moving to kind of a very different, it's almost a stark contrast. By moving from the image of a child to a call to the nation that he led. He says these words, Israel, put your hope in the Lord both now and forevermore. So David rouses the nation from this dreamy contemplative image to a greater calling. To put hope and trust in God collectively as a nation. And I believe that is a call for us as the body of Christ. We can say, church, put your hope in the Lord, both now and forevermore. So there's this stark contrast between verse 2 and verse 3. And it's kind of like a call to action. So once we've had this beautiful moment of resting in God's presence, being strengthened in God's presence, it just experienced this calm and this wash over us. We're also reminded that the rhythms of life don't always allow us just to sit and pontificate over this all day long. That at some point, we have to do something. At some point, we have to get up. At some point, we actually have to um, do the work that God has called us to do. So we need to take time to contemplate and savor the word of God. But we also have responsibilities. We have work to be done, children to tend to, appointments to get to, social functions to attend. And when we root ourselves in this stillness and this quietness, it allows God to be equally present when we are in the midst of those busyness. But you must take the time to sit and be still. We savor the spiritual food, and then we go out and we work it off. We come back and we experience more spiritual food, and then we go out and we work it off. The cycle repeats over and over again. King David is a profound example of someone submitted to God, but he was far from perfect. So we better look to an example of someone who is an even greater king. So, of course, we look to King Jesus, who while on his earth, while on this earth, he was wholly and fully submitted to God the Father. And in the rhythm of Jesus' life, it looked remarkably similar to what this psalm is doing. Jesus, especially if you read through the book of Mark, you see this pattern of withdrawal work. He would go off and he would go pray to be with the Father. He would contemplate and then he would go do the work that God has called him to. Jesus was a master at just this beautiful balance of of withdrawal and work. Jesus said this to his disciples, kind of encompassing everything we've been reading and and talking about. Jesus said this in John 4. He said, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. My food, my food is is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Jesus was so good at calming and quieting himself before God the Father in preparation to do the work of God. He knew that he had a higher calling, a calling that led him to the cross. I was reminded of these words, and it, I, was, uh, I wasn't going to include this, but I, I just found it very poignant. I, I was preaching from this uh, message, or the, from this passage in my, in my wedding sermon yesterday, and it just felt very fitting. It felt like sort of a, um, a culmination of, of so much of what we've already been talking about from Philippians chapter 2. It says these words, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. 
Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, and by the way, this is, uh, this is a poem right here. Um, Paul sometimes just randomly puts poems in his, in his uh, prose, and I think that's a really beautiful thing. He says these words, be, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So by the power of the spirits in us, we begin to imitate Christ, his life, his humility, his submission to God the Father, his servant-heartedness, this pattern of withdrawal and work where we get to receive and be still with God the Father, to be calmed in his presence, to be nurtured in his presence. And then we go and do the work that God has called us to. As Christ died, we die to ourselves. As Christ is raised, we are raised into new life. In the same way that King David wanted to be like this quieted, calmed child before God, and and before resuming his leadership over a kingdom, we as the church calm and quiet ourselves in this moment as we prepare to be ambassadors for the kingdom that Jesus is bringing into this earth. That is our role, that is our, our priestly duty to, to be um, co-workers, co-laborers with, with God as he ushers in this kingdom. But to do this well, we must be so rooted, withdrawal, to be with God the Father, and to work, to do the work of God the Father. Let's pray. Just God, in the stillness of this moment, we are grateful. May we just hear from you. May we listen to you, listen to your voice. God, this morning we have spent time singing to you. We've spent time confessing where we know we have um, missed the mark. We've spent time contemplating your wonderful presence. We've spent time meditating over your word. God, it is so good to to do this together. But Lord, I I pray that you would give us the ability to do this, not just as the gathered church, but as the scattered church as well. That when we leave this space, that we would, uh, that we, that we would be people that reflect deeply on your word. 
that we would absorb it, that we would take it in, that we would allow it to transform us so that we can do the work that you have called us to do in our, in our jobs, in, uh, in our schools, in our, uh, in our neighborhoods, in our homes. This is a holy mission that you've entrusted us to. So God, I just pray that we would um, just embody this spirit of, of quietude. Allow us to create space to hear from you every single day and throughout our day. In your name we pray. Amen.